Hey, Carl here to say that Music to Code By is now an app called Music to Flow By. Now you can listen to the tracks on your phone with offline capability. The first three tracks are free, and the entire catalog is available by subscription with a new track arriving every month. Just go to musictoflowby.com for all the links. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, this is our first recording after the new year. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Happy New Year to you. What did you do over the holiday season? Uh, you know, tinkered with gear and so forth. But at the moment, I think I said this on an earlier show, the youngest daughter made it into the Scotties, which is the big women's level curling tournament. This is how you get to the Olympics. So yeah. I'm actually in Victoria during the tournament right now. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Good luck been, to Katie. It's been really exciting. And uh, they they are competitive, but not winning a whole bunch. We got a great show for you. Charles Wood is here. Uh, if you don't know who he is, you're going to now. And uh, this was a kind of a difficult show to do a Better Know Framework for uh, because of the topic. But go ahead and roll the music, and I think you'll like what I found. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, um, uh, you know, as I said, this was a, a tough uh, Better Know Framework because, the, you know, we're talking about your career and all that. And <laughs> But knowing that Chuck is, uh, you know, JavaScript Jabber guy, the podcast, and, and a JavaScript guy, I thought I would find a really awesome web-based app. Cool. And I got to thank my brother Jay Franklin for this. He showed this to me the other day. It's uh, a flight simulator in the browser. Oh, my goodness. And it's free. And it's just as good as any flight simulator you've seen before, but with a little twist. The aerial imagery comes from real-world, worldwide maps oh, nice. and images. Go to www.geo-fs.com. So it's a free online flight simulator, global scenery. So essentially, what you, you know, it's not like Google Earth or anything like that, but you can get a pretty good facsimile of an area and you can pick anywhere in the world. Uh, my brother likes to buzz his own house. <laughs> <laughs> and fly around the option. neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> you have that option to go fly by your own place. You really That's do. Funny. And you know, m my brother Jay, he's, he's a little, uh, OCD when it comes to, um, flights and all of that stuff. He's, he, he, he kind of likes to stalk me, you know? So he asked me to, put on a tracker wherever I go oh, so yeah. he can tell where I am. And then he gives me these creepy texts like, you know, hey, how's the chowder? You know, if I'm at a fish house or something like that. Right. <laughs> but he also likes to track planes as they fly around. Um, you'd be sitting out in the backyard in the summertime and you hear, and the plane is going overhead. He looks up and he pulls out his, uh, his app and he says, Ah, that's uh, flight number, you know, 432. That's going to Milan. There you go. Very. So there's this uh, online source that he uses to find real-time flight information, and it's at planefinder.net. Nice. So what's interesting is that GeoFS uses plane finder information, or uses real-time plane locations, and then inserts them into 
The flight simulator. Oh, so you see other planes because of the actual other planes that are flying around in the real world. <laughs> That's right, in real time. So wherever you are and you see a plane, that plane is really there in real life. Yes. You're not. He can't see You're you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I zoomed in on JFK and there's a whole bunch of airplanes at JFK. That is not a surprise. Yeah. That's funny. Well, that's what I got, Richard. Who's talking to us today? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1187. So back in the catalog a little bit, September of 2015. This is a show we did with Jeremy Clark called Becoming a Social Developer. Yeah. And I think it's, in you know, we're talking about careers and things. It's one of those skills that we have to cultivate, which is certainly what we talked about with Jeremy about social interaction and things. Because our industry is remarkably tolerant to folks. In fact, maybe even celebratory of folks that are less than social. Yeah. And Barrett has this comment on uh, Jeremy's show. He says, thank you so much for this episode. It's far too common in our industry to just accept things as they are and something to the effect of that's how developers should be and accept it and leave it there. Mm -hmm. For me, it's been a constant struggle throughout life, not just my career, to develop even a minor set of social skills. And I've managed to develop it to the point where I do okay in certain situations. I can even manage to get through a short speaking engagement without throwing up my hands and running screaming from the room. That's a feature. I like that. Yeah, that is a, that's pretty good. I generally make it a goal of my of my week to try and avoid having any time where I throw my hands, scream, and run out of a room. It's not really the thing I want to do anymore. Uh, but the mm. lunchtime scenario is the one that still terrifies me. It doesn't matter if it's a conference like Build or Stir Trek or Code Mash or it's just the cafeteria at the office. The conversation starter skill set is one I've never been able to set aside my fear long enough to develop. I typically find mm. a quiet area to hide or just leave altogether. And it's interesting that Barrett connects us with meals because I also think that that breaking bread is one of the more vulnerable times in your existence too. Yeah, but we got to change that to breaking bacon now. Well, whatever right? work, whatever works for you. <laughs> uh, we spend so much time as developers focusing on developing our technical skill set, but as a group, we really need to start putting as much effort into developing our own non-technical skill sets. It's been my experience mm. that as a group, we struggle with all forms of communication. Whether it's getting to know the person next to you at the lunch table or explaining the benefits of our proposal in terms of non-technical enough to be uh, effective with business stakeholders, we seem to excel at making our lives a little more difficult by not being able to establish an effective level of communication. And I would love to see more people out there like Jeremy at conferences and workplaces helping developers to develop our non-technical skill sets. We can only make our lives better by doing so. I find it's really easier to shift the focus when you're talking to somebody face to face, shift the focus to them, mm -hmm. keep it off of you, you know, because I'm, I'm tired of telling my story all the time. <laughs> I want to, and it's very easy to do, you know, tell me about you, tell me what you're doing. Sure. You know? yeah. Well, and, and certainly talking about careers and getting new work and so forth is these are soft skill efforts one way or the other. So yeah. uh, it seems like an opportunity to just remind ourselves of those things. So, Barrett, thank you so much for your comment at .NET Rocks Mug. is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks Mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet and you can earn free fake miles. <laughs> and I mean it. <laughs> very free, very fake. Extremely fake. Emphasis on the fake. Well, okay, let's bring Charles Wood on here. Uh, Charles Max Wood is the CEO, producer, and podcast host at devchat.tv. He hosts several podcasts, including JavaScript Jabber and Ruby Rogues. He also has a course on finding a programming job and runs several online developer conferences to help programmers level up their programming and 
soft skills. Welcome to .NET Rocks, Chuck. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for being here. And you have been on the show before, but I'm sure it was a panel discussion at DevTeach in like Vancouver. Um, yeah, 2012, I think. A million years ago. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And we've worked together recently um, with um, Microsoft at Build and Connect and uh, even Ignite, I think. Mm -hmm. You guys have uh, brought yep. your podcasters there to interview uh, Microsoft executives and things. Yeah, it's funny. I've actually reconnected with a few folks like Donovan Brown and, uh, you know, some of the people that I've met at some of these events because I do a segment for JavaScript Jabber called My JavaScript Story. And mm -hmm. since they were on JavaScript Jabber, it's kind of a where are they now and what are they doing? And so I talked to Donovan Brown yesterday. I've talked to several other people, uh, you know, across Microsoft that have been on the shows at these events. And it's just been a, a ton of fun to, yeah. oh, okay, what are you working on? And, you know, how's Microsoft doing these days? And it, it, it's right. tremendous. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, it's fun to bring a bunch of podcasters together. You know, you think about oh, yeah. our job as podcasters are often the connector to it within a community. Often software developers working by themselves, relatively few peers. Mm -hmm. And so the show is a bridge. But being mm -hmm. a podcaster is remarkably isolating as well. So yes. it's really spectacular when a bunch of us as podcasters can sit down around a table and, and have a meal and talk podcasting. Right. Yeah. Or anything else. And uh, because the guys that uh, Richard brought in to uh, build and uh, in all of these Microsoft shows typically have podcasts outside the realm of .NET, uh, we actually get to, to hang out with, you know, Linux people, JavaScript people, Java people, uh, Ruby people, and it's great. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun just to talk to people and kind of get the ideas around, hey, what do you do? What are you about? Who's your audience? Who are you reaching? What are you trying to do for them? And right. it, it's all these ideas. It's, it's very similar in some ways to talking to programmers about what they do, except we're talking about actually putting media out that impacts people in a different way than open source does. Yes. Yeah, I, see, I think yeah. there's no substitute to having got, had the experience of putting out 100 podcast episodes. To really, <laughs> True. you know, it's like you're over a line at that point where our conversation is now different um, mm -hmm. about yep. how, how you think about creating content and that routine generation process. And you started, I mean, a long time ago, Ruby, wasn't that your first show? Was, was Ruby related stuff? It was. It was about Rails. I was doing interviews and then I would intersperse it with, oh, this is what I'm working on and this is what I'm learning. And that was almost 10 years ago. Yeah. And then our first uh, panel discussion show on devchat.tv started about six and a half years ago with Ruby Rogues. And then JavaScript Jabber turned six this next week, I think. Awesome. Well, to connect this back to your career, um, everybody kind of has the feeling that being the host of a successful podcast is probably a good thing for your career. But, uh, you know, you shouldn't go from there to, oh, I think I'll be a podcaster, right? I mean, <laughs> it, it's the same thing we told people back in the, you know, when the web was new and everybody wanted a website. They thought, well, if I just have a website, then, you know, everything will be great. Mm -hmm. But people have to find it. And it's the same with podcasts. So nothing takes the, the place of having a community of people to which you can introduce your website or your podcast. And that is a totally different skill set from either being a webmaster or a podcaster. Yeah, I've been uh, doing the podcast full time for the last two years. 
And people ask me sometimes, you know, how do you do full-time podcasting? How do you support yourself? And I basically say ads and I'm the host or co-host of six of the shows. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it, one, one show, it's, it's hard unless you really get a massive, massive audience or you have some other method of monetizing it, like having your own courses and things like that, which is yeah. something I'm working on. But otherwise, yeah, it's, it's really hard to do on just one or two shows. Mm-hmm. How has it been for your career having all these podcasts? Well, it depends on which stage of my career. So when I started out doing the podcasts and then screencasts, I did screencasts for a few years at teachmetocode.com. That yeah. really helped me find jobs. And so I was full-time employee and I would go in for a job interview. I'd tell them about Teach Me to Code. And however long it took them to watch about two videos, I'd get a call back with a job offer. And so that helped. Yeah. Uh, as as th- as time went on, like Ruby Rogues, Ruby Rogues started after I went freelance. And mm-hmm. it made it immensely easy to find contracts. Because I could go on the show and say, okay, this contract's winding down. Does anyone have work for me? And within a week or two, I would have emails from people saying, oh, hey, I hear you have an opening. And that, yes. that was also nice. And they were usually pretty good con- contracts because it was with companies or people that were already doing a lot of the right things. Right. What do you think is the power of something like Teach Me to Code? Was it just that they could see you talking, like that, that they, in a way they got to know you, so they wanted to work with you? Yeah, uh, Teach Me to Code was interesting. It was primarily just screencasts about how to do Ruby on Rails. Right. Mm-hmm. And it worked out because, A, they could see how I operated because I would do full-on test-driven development and I would show them basically how I worked because it was screencasting. Here's how you do the, this in mm-hmm. Rails. The other thing that helped, though, was that there were a few series on there like how to build a Twitter clone or things like that. And nice. so if somebody thought they wanted something similar to that, they would call me up and say, hey, we need something similar to what you built on Teach Me to Code. And it was really easy to get those contracts for something that I already knew how to do. Yeah. Do you see contributing to open source projects like being on GitHub as a comparable, just again, as an example of your work that other people can look at? Yes and no. And this is something I go into in my Finding a Job course. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are basically worried about, well, I don't have a lot of experience and... So, you know, GitHub is my resume and I need to build that up. Otherwise, how are people going to know what I can do? And the the answer is twofold. A lot of people try and use GitHub as a substitute for their resume. And hmm. you kind of really can't do that unless you're working on a successful open source project. Some company wants to invest in your investment in that project and use you as a su- subject matter expert there. They, they might come to you that way over GitHub. But for right. the vast majority of people... You reference GitHub in your interview and on your resume, and then they'll go and they'll look and see what you've done. Right. Because effectively, what they're looking for is they're looking for somebody who can come in and solve their problems in a meaningful way within a reasonable amount of time. And your GitHub repositories give them the opportunity to come in and look at what you've contributed to open source, what you've contributed to your own projects Mm -hmm. and how complicated they are, how that compares to what they want you to do. Mm -hmm. And then they can use that as kind of social proof or, you know, give the, give them some ideas of what you're capable of. And so it's important to have out there. um, But it, it's not the entire story and you really can't make it that way. So I hear you saying it's not a replacement for a resume. It's just an no. add to a resume. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, depending on 
Because some companies, they'll look at your resume, they'll have you in for an interview, they'll never go to GitHub and they'll hire you. Right. And then other companies really do a lot of due diligence, so they're calling your references and they're doing all of these other things. And so you really have to have your ducks in a row. And and this kind of a thing really helps with them because it helps them justify the decision to bring you on. What about LinkedIn? Do you, do you mean it, it touts itself as the digital resume? I, mm. I, I don't love it for that either. Mm-hmm. Now, they do do job listings on there, and it is a good way of connecting with people. The place where I tell people to use LinkedIn, so I have a system on how to find a job. And the the system basically breaks things down into figure out what kind of a job you want, and then go find companies that are that kind of a company, Mm. and then talk to people and see if you can find people who work for other companies that aren't on your radar that are that kind of company. So LinkedIn's really good for... A, finding people who work for a particular company because they usually have it on there. And that's probably one of the better databases for finding that kind of information. The Mm -hmm. other thing that LinkedIn does is a lot of the companies have their profiles on there. So you can go and look and see what their hiring record is and where they're growing and things like that. And that gives you a lot of ideas that way. And so generally, I use LinkedIn for more of the networking end of things and not really... For you to find things. Yeah. how many people have found you through LinkedIn that have resulted in a contract? Uh, none. Yeah, same here. That's interesting. But I, but it's still, I, I like this. You, you're taking control of it. I want to get a new job at software yeah. development. What do I want? And mm-hmm. using LinkedIn as a way to find folks in work that you like or that you're interested in. Yep, and most people are pretty friendly about connecting on LinkedIn if you give them a good reason. So don't send them the the generic, hi, I want to connect. What you do is you say, hey, I'm looking for a new job. I looked at your company and it looks like the kind of company I want to work for. I'd like to connect with you so we can go grab a coffee or grab a lunch or whatever and connect that way and, and just talk about what it's like to work at the company you work for. And a yeah. lot of people, oh, you want to buy me lunch? Yeah, we'll connect. Yeah, but throw some food in. You can get anything you want. But I also think <laughs> they also get that opportunity to effectively interview you. Do I want you mm-hmm. to be my coworker too? Like, right. I think, I think, and it's a compliment to reach out to someone and say, hey, I'd like to know more about the place you work. Yeah, absolutely. I got to say, both of the jobs that I got in the earliest stages of my career, and we're talking about in the 90s, in the early, like 90. It was Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the result of me using software, loving it, saying, I'd like to work there, calling them up and say, I love your stuff. I use it all the time. I want to work for you. What do I have to do? And uh, even though that sounds really simple, uh, I got really lucky because of the timing and uh, other things too, but really, really pissed off my wife at the time (laughs) because she did the safe route and went to college and got a degree and and sent her resume out and got no no bites and here I just made a phone call. Yeah, you but know. the kicker is is how, how many people are doing what you just outlined, Carl? Yeah, I no, don't know. Nobody. Nobody it worked does for me that. twice. Yeah, but nobody does that, right? Nobody goes to the trouble of actually researching a company or seeing a company they want to work for and then actually taking the initiative to go talk to them. I just don't and, see what's so hard about it. Well, but the thing is, is that people have this programmed into their head that you have to go through the process. And the reality is, is that these companies are made out of people. You know, they stack people in those buildings, right? And those people are making decisions. And so if you get in front of those people and you stand out in some way, that guy walked in the lobby and asked for a job. 
or that person called up and they they said, "Hey, I really want to work here." You're you're the anomaly. And I got another story about this, Chuck. Yeah. Last night having uh, band practice, the trumpet player Dave says, "You know, I have a friend who 26 years ago walked into ESPN and said, "Your music sucks. Listen to this." And he's still there being the music director to this day. Yep. <laughs> how ballsy is that? Yeah. Like, this sucks. Let me show you how to make it better. Uh, you know, listen to this or watch this or you could be doing this. Um, Richard, Dax, Dax Pondy. Yep. He sent us uh, an email in the early days of .NET Rocks and said, your website could be a lot better. How does this look to you? And, you know, it looked great. It was just a Photoshop mock-up, but it was of our website. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he says, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll make this a reality if we can, you can just put my little, you know, poweredbynucation.com or whatever yep. down at the bottom. And of course we said yes. Yep. Who wouldn't? Absolutely. I do think it's a challenge to get through the noise. Like in all of those scenarios, you contacted the right person. Someone right. whose reaction to it was, hey, good initiative, go for it. Right. right. I, I think the other challenge that mm-hmm. folks often have uh, is this idea of I print up a bunch of copies of my resume and I just throw them around. Yeah. I send them right. to, I send, I send them, you know, through channels rather than go directly to the person you wanted to work for or the company right. you mm-hmm. wanted to be involved in. I think, you know, you know we're making a very big presumption that a lot of people don't necessarily do, which is I don't want any job in software development. I want a particular one in a particular way with a particular company. Right. And hold that thought, guys, while we take just a few minutes for this very important message. Hey, Rockheads, this is Carl. Have you tried JetBrains Rider? It's a new cross-platform .NET IDE that's light yet powerful and comes from the makers of ReSharper, IntelliJ, IDEA, and WebStorm. You can write .NET code on Windows, Mac, or Linux. Rider has you covered. Rider helps you develop ASP.NET, .NET Core, .NET Framework, Xamarin, and Unity applications. Most languages used in .NET development are supported. From C-Sharp, VB.NET, F-Sharp, and XAML, to ASP.NET Razor Syntax, JavaScript, TypeScript, and all that other front-end stuff. It comes with navigation, thousands of code inspections, refactorings, unit testing, debugging, rich coding assistance, and more advanced IDE features powered by proven technology from ReSharper and WebStorm. Download Rider now and take it for a 30-day trial at rider.netrocks.com. That's R-I-D-E-R dot D-O-T N-E-T R-O-C-K-S dot com. All right, we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. He's Richard Campbell. Charles Wood is with us. We're talking about getting a job. He's got a, a complete program on how to find a job in software development, and it sounds like it starts with find a company that, uh, well, of course, it's got to start with be awesome. You can't, can't <laughs> not be awesome, but uh, find a company that you want to work with and just approach them. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's really what it comes down to. I have a worksheet that I put people through, and essentially they it's, okay, what are you looking for, for in this job? So newer folks, it's generally things like mentorship, or mm-hmm. uh, I want to learn this particular technology, I want to learn this particular process, you know, these aspects of agile development, mm-hmm. uh, these aspects of project management, et cetera, et cetera. I want to make a difference in this field. You know, maybe they have some connection to medical or, uh, you know, 
banking or something, right? And so they, you know, they want to go work for a company that does that. Um, what kind of people do you want to work for? What kind of a boss do you want to have? You know, we, we wor- work right. through all of that stuff. And then you know what questions to ask when you start looking at these companies. And yeah. so then you, you know, and I don't tell people, okay, just go doggedly after the one company, right? It's go, go look around, see if you can find some companies that look like they should be what you want. Another one's geography or remote, you know, if, is, is it close to you, close to where you want right. to move or is it remote? But yeah, do, do they fit enough of these criteria for me to dig deeper on them? And then you dig deeper, you meet the people, you start asking them these questions and, you, you you just get noticed that way. And then, yeah, you just approach them. One of my favorite approaches, you guys talked about just calling up. But one of my favorite approaches is you print off your resume and you go into their office building if they're local. Right. And you walk into yeah. the lobby. And usually they have a receptionist there. You have to know the name of the manager you want to talk to. But mm-hmm. you say, hey, look, I'm a developer. I'd really like to work here. I understand you might have a job opening and I'd like to, like to talk to John Doe in such and such a department and hand him my resume and just see what he's looking for. You know, along with the resume, Charles, does it make sense to print up something that's specific to that company in terms of showing that you understand what they do and how you would fit into it? Yeah, that's called a cover letter. Yeah. And absolutely, absolutely. The other thing is, is that a lot of times on your resume, you're listing particular skills or experience you have. Mm. And a lot of times it's hard to put in there. I mean, you can show some initiative, right? Organized brown bag lunches or whatever that you've done at past uh, jobs. But in a lot of cases, it's hard to really show that you've gone out of your way to learn a particular thing that they really need or are interested in. You can put that in your cover letter, right? I've been working through this this track on Pluralsight or Skillshare or this or that or the other, right? It's harder to put yeah. that on the resume, but you can you can put that into the the cover letter and just say, I'm aware that Big Awesome Corp uses Angular extensively and mm-hmm. has been using the Angular Material plugin to do a lot of their design. And so I went out and I took the Angular Material course on Pluralsight and I built these two sample apps yeah. on GitHub. That's great. And you idea. put all that in your, your cover letter and that shows initiative. It shows that you're willing to go out and learn on your own and it shows right. that you really understand what they do. I think yes. just paying attention enough to the company to know what they use. Like that, what's that? What a statement that is to somebody to say, Hey, I see you use these tools. Here's what I've done with these tools, or here's how I've mm. improved my skills under my own initiative around those tools. Mm-hmm. Like I want that person. Maybe you could even go so far as to give them something that would improve their site or their, their service or whatever. Yep. Another yeah. way that you can do this because. It's not just about the, oh, I can do the job, but if you can make a personal connection, that's another big, big thing. And so, if you find out that the manager that you're trying to ambush at his desk, and I I love the term ambush, right? You just, anyway, (laughs) but, uh, you know, you're trying to ambush this guy at his desk and let's say that he, like I, is a huge Royale Salt Lake soccer fan, right? And so, what you do is in your Angular Material app, you say, and in the second app that I built, because they're awesome, I did it in the Real Salt Lake Cobalt and Claret colors. <laughs> <laughs> right? But it also occurs to me that your LinkedIn angle is really interesting here, too, because you may yeah. not connect with the boss, but you've connected with some people in the office now. Yep. So, you set foot in that building to go talk to the boss, and there's somebody who's going to recognize you, or you're going to recognize them. Yeah, it's just that that sense of connectivity that's like, I'm not an external or I'm not an outsider here. 
Yeah, and if you follow some of those folks on Twitter or Facebook or some of these other places, you may find out that they're part of a local users group and stuff. And so if you've yeah. gone to a couple of those and you've met them there, then when you show up in the office, they're going, oh, well, what are you doing here? Oh, well, I'm going to meet the boss to talk about whether or not they have a job here. Mm-hmm. Do you want to come along? You know, And then you have a friend to go with you. And you, you have all of these things going for you. The other trick I like about this is you show up about a half hour before lunch when you do this. And that way, when you're walking out the door, so is everybody else to go down to the ribs place. Right. Ah. And so you look at them and, oh, hey, where, where are you guys going? Oh, we're going out to lunch over at the ribs place. Oh, well, can I come? Sure. Now you're part of the gang. Yeah. And even further, and I'll treat. Yeah. <laughs> if you if can you afford, can't it. afford yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but either way, having a meal with folks is always very powerful. Yep. 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 Yeah. It's definitely a strength. I, I like this because it's, it's, it's sort of a reverse engineering of social media mm-hmm. to, to help you target your work and to get results on the work you want. Yep, absolutely. There's no better social media than one-on-one, is there? <laughs> live in person. Well, the thing is, is that nobody else, nobody else has the live in person connection. So if you go out of your way to create it, even if mm. you didn't already have it, yeah, you you are head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah, yeah. They, they Interesting. Call, they call them networks for a reason, and the fact that you can, yep. this is the stuff they're putting online in LinkedIn or wherever, so that you know you're using it in a way to connect to the folks that you want to. Yep. Mm -hmm. I had one guy that I talked to when I was putting this course together, and he said, well, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and we really don't have a strong tech community here, so I want to move to a city that does, like Denver. And he he specifically mentioned Denver. I said, take a three-day vacation to Denver, and then I told him to do exactly what I told you guys. Right. Walk in with your resume. You know, connect with these people online beforehand and do all your research. But yeah, then take a vacation to Denver for a couple days. Go do some fun stuff. Yep. But take at least a day, day and a half, and go around to three or four companies that you think you want to work for with your resume in hand and do exactly what I said. Yeah, the trick here is actually to use social media properly. Like, you could get very stalker. You get invited to lunch with those guys. Don't talk about, hey, your kids are really cute. I looked at them on Facebook. Like, that's just a mistake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah. yeah. No, but a lot of this stuff, you know, they tweet about the the local college football team. Right. And, you know, that that's not hard to see. It, there's enough of a community out there, right? Their, their kids don't have a fan community, but the football team does. So it's not that far a leap to find that you have that in common. Yeah, yeah. The question is, when you have that in common, what's the right way to bridge into having that in common? To, again, not come off as the stalker. It's like, I've read all this stuff about you. I know you like this thing. Well, generally, it's something more like, well, I was researching the company and I clicked on some of the Twitter f- profiles of people who worked here. Right. And yep. I saw that you are a big fan of, I'm, I'm an alum of BYU. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I, I see you're a big fan of the BYU Cougars. Man, what a stinker season this year. And boy, yeah. they have a stinker season this year. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. Push an emotional button, yeah. you know? And we yeah. can always commiserate over how bad our team was this year. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to order a pizza delivered for Chuck so he'll share this show to his minions. <laughs> okay. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, like, I like pizza. Was, all right. <laughs> this is actually a reference to uh, another stunt that we pulled back in the days of BitTorrent, which I'll talk about in a minute. But first... Let's give away a D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks 
fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant.net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. And you can check it out for free on GitHub. Well, learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Dean Harmon. Congratulations, Dean. Woo! Yeah, that's what I want. Woo, woo! And uh, Dean just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And, of course, we also like to ask our guests, Chuck, if you had $5,000 to spend today on technology, what would you buy? <laughs> so it's funny you ask this. I spent... About $2,000 building a, a development machine, a desktop machine. And uh, so now that I have that... <laughs> yeah. Got that one out of the way. I keep looking at my setup, and I do a lot of panel discussion recordings. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what I would honestly spend it on is a stack of Mac minis and a bigger mixer to just plug it all in. Yeah. And enough hardware to just hook all that up so that I can monitor and manage each each person on separately. their own yeah 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 we were just talking about that it, 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 you think it's easy to record multiple people and isolate them but it really to do it right you really do have to have a computer for each one yeah yep it's the it's yeah. the honest truth and just having them packaged up right and shared around well and you're doing video as well right you do those panels no. you've got headshots going don't you i don't actually no, i don't it's all audio it. yeah okay well, audio is way easier to handle video is just like a yeah. nightmare it is. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I'm not using Mac minis. I'm using little A-open uh, machines. These are from my old uh, portable uh, server array that I used to carry around a rollerway bag, but I converted them into just running Skype. Yeah, why them, not? And uh, yeah. fire them up with uh, with uh, mouse without borders and, and to be able to remotely con control them and a, and a multi-screen and uh, com constantly tell them not to upgrade to the new Win 10 version of Skype because it <laughs> sucks. I know. Come on. Yeah. Can you just take a hint? Yeah. Leave me alone. I think this, you got to turn on this feature, upgrade nag screen stuff has gotten way out of hand yeah. on all platforms and all devices, including my Samsung Gear Watch, which I turned the speech off because I really don't want Google recording every single word I say. And uh, making that available to a, a government or po local police in case I happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Don't get me started. Anyway, it just, just keeps asking me. Just leave that to Amazon me. in your house. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've done that. I've taken <laughs> that away too. I'm I'm done with all that stuff. But anyway, uh, I want to get back to the pizza joke. Well, an attempt at a joke anyway. You know, the time to order a pizza, send it to Chuck. Um, 
Richard, do you remember back in the days of BitTorrent, there was a guy working on a .NET uh, version of it, uh, David Smith, and he was working on a .NET version. This was supposedly going to solve the world's bandwidth problems, and it's a peer-to-peer protocol. A lot of people use it for mm-hmm. illegal file sharing and stuff, but it was just a great protocol, and we attempted to use it to make uh, uh, downloads work better for everybody. And reduce our bandwidth costs. Yeah, and reduce our on uh, our bandwidth costs, right? So he was working on it, and I found out where he was, and we ordered him a pizza, and we had it delivered, like with a bottle of Mountain Dew or something. You remember that, right? Yeah, and he's like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" You know, and the note was, "Dave, keep working. You're doing great stuff, and we're supporting you." And I just thought that was a, a, a he thought it was a great gesture, and it motivated him to keep going. You know, nowadays I would have sent him a pound of cooked bacon, but that's besides <laughs> the point. Uh, you can send that to me. <laughs> All yep. right, so let's get back to your um, process of finding a job. You actually have a, a system. And yep. where were we before the break? I think we got into a point where it's like you know where you want to work and you've put in that initial resume. Yeah. Uh, if an organization has a formal HR process, you're still going to have to come in for an interview. Yes. And it I found as a guy who's been both interviewed and an interviewer, software developers are terrible interviews. Mm. Just terrible. Mm. Not all of them, just most of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true. What, it, what do you have suggestions like how do you get to be a better interviewer? Do you have to write a rap about yourself? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's it's really hard because effectively what you're looking for, there are two things that you're looking for and on the interview side, these are the two things that you know they're looking for, right? So, you need to do a little bit of research to know what they are. And we've talked a little bit about the skills. So, you talk to them about the different tools that you use and the different technologies that you want them to know. And if they don't know them, then you're trying to figure out, okay, can they pick these up rather quickly? And so, then you start talking to them, hey, what's the technology you've learned recently? And what have you gone through in order to know that or to learn it? And things like that. But if it's a technology that they already use, then you want to kind of plumb the depths of their knowledge and see what they know. And generally, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for, okay, do they know it deeply enough to know where some of the gotchas are? Do they know where the limitations of where this really shines? And you're also generally, yeah, just looking for, okay, what would you do in this instance? How would you use these tools to solve this particular problem? And just kind of let them talk through it to find out what their thought process is. But some people are just good talkers and they can talk their way through the problem right. and be a terrible programmer. Yes. And so that's not enough. Generally, I actually make them sit down and I watch them code for an hour. So we'll pair program or they'll po- pair program with someone I trust or I'll give them a, a you know some kind of project to work on and then you know just kind of look over their shoulder and see how they approach it. Um, and, and I like to give them something that has enough complexity so that I can actually see how they solve problems. You know, it's not yes. fizz buzz. It's something a little bit more than that. Um, and then the rest of the process is if this person were coming into my office every day, would I want to put a plastic bag over their head? Right? <laughs> <laughs> the plastic or, bag test. Yeah. Right. Or, 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 you know, am I going to be delighted? Is this the kind of person I'm going to want to go to lunch with every day when we take a break and let our hair down? 
Yeah. And so, you know, so you start talking to them about that. And that doesn't necessarily mean they have to have a whole bunch of in common with me, but it does mean that they have to not be a jerk. They don't have to smell, you know, they have to not smell funny. Um, you <laughs> Basic know, they, hygiene comes yeah. down to that, kids. But this is a really interesting challenge, too, right? That yeah. How important, I guess it's a question, as, I mean, I, and I've gone back and forth with this. I don't have to be friends with every no. software developer that I've hired. Right, I, it's not important to be friends with me, but you have to be able to be constructive of the team. A toxic yes. person in a team is remarkably destructive, no matter how skilled mm-hmm. they are as a software developer. So true, true. so true. And I, I think anybody who's been in the industry for more than a couple of years has worked with somebody where they, you know, they they just wish they didn't have to work with them every day. Right, and right. about half of those people, they were honestly the most brilliant person on the team, and when they left. We got three times the work done without yeah, them. Yeah, isn't that funny? Interesting. It's a, the truth. I, I remember one time doing a annual review with a guy who was one of those incredibly brilliant acerbic people. And I'm like, dude, mm. it's like you're a cow that gives twice as much milk, but you kick over one of the cans. So we end yeah. up with the same amount of milk as everybody else and a mess on our floor. Tell me why yep. you're actually better. Yeah, man. He was yep. very angry with me. But it's like, Mm. look, you are completely sabotaging everyone else. Mm -hmm. And then we get the same results that you got. As soon as that toxicity was removed, the rest of the team was way more net productive than having that person in the loop. And ultimately, you did the guy a favor by pointing out something that he obviously wasn't seeing that was holding him back. Yeah, and I don't, in the end, we didn't get to see the the new version of that person. They moved on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And, yep. but I, maybe we were a step towards them getting better. Or maybe they found a way to work that just didn't, where well, that wasn't an issue. They worked on their own from then on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you, you got to tell me how you want to work. But I also think that, I, and I've had this experience over and over again, when someone's miserable and in, and you end it so they're no longer miserable, like they actually will be happier. They're angry at the time, but the next day, everybody's relieved. Well, the, the other thing is, is usually these types of people, they they put this toxicity out there, right? It leaches yeah. out into everything else. Sure. And everybody else is either too afraid or too nice to say something. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you just don't talk about other people that way. Yeah. I mean, I was raised that way. I think most people are. And so you don't want to do that. You don't want to rock the boat. And you definitely don't want that guy pissed at you because then mm. your life's tri- twice as hard. Yes. And so yeah. what winds up happening is... is nobody's complaining and so you don't deal with it and you don't deal with it and you don't deal with it and you wind up paying for it over and over and over again until finally you do deal with it and then everybody on the team goes <gasps> yeah. oh it's so much better well i definitely and i definitely been the manager where i got it got to a point where we hadn't dealt with it so long that the good guys on our team were like yep. why are we staying here if you're this incompetent mm-hmm. as a manager to not deal with this toxicity mm-hmm. yep absolutely mm-hmm. Chuck, what can you tell uh, people who are on the other side of uh, of their career? In other words, let's say you're interested in development or maybe you've got a little bit of experience and you want to do more and ultimately you want to find a job, but you're just working on that being awesome part. Um, I, I was lucky enough to have parents that supported me and I, I was, you know, writing code, had a crappy job and working my way through it and they supported me during that period but not everybody can say uh hey mom dad uncle max whatever can you support me while i just spend time to invest in myself maybe Mm -hmm. it's going to school 
Maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, just going online and learning things. Um, on, in that stage of your career, do you have any tips for people? Yeah, the last module in the system is sort of something that people are going to go through through the whole process. And I'm trying to decide if I want to release it on its own or not. But it's essentially how to stay current and how to level up. Right. And yeah. what what we're talking about. And really, this course came out of my making my time available to podcast listeners. So I opened up a link. They can go get on my schedule through schedule once. They get 15 minutes on Skype. They can ask me anything they want. And... I had a whole a whole bunch of people, especially new people coming in, and usually they were either recent boot camp grads, they were teaching themselves, or they were in their first programming job that somebody else helped them get, and they didn't right. know how to move up. Yeah. And so they're going, how do I get a job? How do I make this work? Um, I'm going and talking to people, and they're telling me, you know what, you're too green, blah, 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 we're not going to hire you. Yeah. And yeah, so how do you get around that? Well, it goes back to what we were talking about before. What are these folks looking for? They're looking for somebody that they're happy to have around, mm. right? So we talked about not being that toxic person. Mm -hmm. But also, you, you make general contributions to the team. And a lot of the contributions that I've made to teams over the years weren't the code contributions. I helped set up CI right. machines. I helped with deployment processes. I helped with uh, training. I helped organize different events at the company. Yeah. None of those really have a whole ton to do with code. So you can learn some of those skills and they'll find those valuable. But the other thing is, and, and that all goes to, is this the kind of person we want to have around? And the other one is the programming skills. How much work are we going to have to do before this person can contribute? Right. And essentially, I tell people to go through the first same first step, which is what kind of company do I want to work for? What kind of work do I want to be doing? What kind of people do I want to be working with? And where is this company located and where will I be located? Now, remote's hard if you're brand new, but most of the rest of that is totally applicable. And then you go to those companies and you find out what they want. And they'll tell you, right? We yep. use Webpack. We use grunt or gulp we use angular we you know ruby on rails or dot net or you know whatever they'll tell you what they're using sure and so you can go level up in those areas and a lot of those there there are books the books are kind of hard because they go out of date especially as fast as technology moves today mm -hmm, but yeah. even if you learn on an old version of dot net or react or javascript or something like that it it's usually pretty easy to come up to modern standards once you've gotten there. So even if you pick up an older version, that's fine. But go get some courses, go to the users groups. And one of the major things that I tell people to do is if you're really having trouble figuring out where to go to level up, let's say it's React, right? You you picked a hot technology. A lot of people are doing it. The, the users groups, they're talking about it there. They have people that are doing it there. So go right. to the users group and say, hey, look, I'm new. By the way, hey, look, I'm new is not an an invitation for most developers at the users groups to pile on you and make themselves look smart. No, almost nobody does that. I almost yeah. never see that. In yeah, fact, yeah. the users groups tend to discourage those kinds of people from showing up, yeah. which means that you can go and it's a safe place to go. I'm stuck. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down after a users group with somebody either helping them or have them help me. And even as an experienced person, I mm -hmm. went to a JavaScript meetup and I was curious about React and somebody got up in the, at the end of the thing and said, hey, I'm going to do a walkthrough of React afterward. 
And, you know, I'm sitting there. I've got 10 plus years experience as a software developer. And yeah. I sat down and I learned React with a bunch of people who had barely touched a keyboard to get code in a, in an nice. editor. Right. So, the, yeah. you know, those are friendly spaces. If you don't have any of those, because some people, you know, they live in remote parts of the world. Um, I talked to one guy. He was in Trinidad or something. And, wow. you know, the tech community is exceptionally small, right? Even though he's in a big city. And so... You know, he's like, well, what do I do? I said, look, there are online groups. There are forums. People will still help you. They're happy to jump on a Google Hangout. Um, I do online conferences, and you can connect with the speakers there. Uh, You know, I'm putting on a React conference in March. I'm putting on a JavaScript conference in May. Um, So you can, you know, you can come to those and connect with people there. Uh, and, And there are all kinds of online communities. You can ask questions on Stack Overflow. Um, but if you can make some of these personal connections and and just ask somebody for some help, there most people are almost always willing to give you at least an hour and just walk you through this stuff. Sure. So get as far as you can with what you've got and then go to these communities and just push it forward. A lot of people tell us listening to podcasts like ours and yours also help them a lot just to mm-hmm. sort of soak up the parlance and yep. hear experienced people talking about the challenges that they're facing. Yep. You know, the cynic in me says, well, okay, but we're, we're helping people BS their way through conversations. But, uh, you know, the, if you want to put another spin on it, you could say, well, we're letting them know about issues they didn't know about before they listened to the show. So just having that knowledge and understanding of the stuff that's out there the problems that people are having is enough to get you started at least in uh, trying to solve your own problems. Yeah. And it's funny, you guys organized uh, us going out to Microsoft Build in 2016 in San Francisco. Right. We held a meetup, uh, JavaScript Jabber and uh, iFreaks. You know, we invited our listeners and we had a handful of people show up. One of the guys that was there, he was a listener of JavaScript Jabber and he basically said, Look, I live here in San Francisco, which is crazy expensive, right? Yeah. And he he basically says, um, I was working a construction job. I decided I wanted to be a programmer, started listening to your show, and exactly what you said, Carl. I went into the interview. They asked me a bunch of questions, and I could explain the concepts that I had heard about on JavaScript Jabber to them in the interview, and I got a job. And he basically doubled his salary. Wow. You know, from like 40 grand to 80 grand in one career move. Wow. And no. he's like, I love my job better. I get to see my wife and kids in the evening. You know, I mean, yeah. that that's a win. And yeah, it is. It's, it's definitely a good one. One other yeah. thing that I think is also critically important, going back to these code samples in interviews and stuff, is go build a sample app. Sure. Yes. And people are like, oh, okay, so should I go build another Twitter clone? And I look at them and I'm like, do you mm-hmm. want to build another Twitter clone? <laughs> and they, yeah. they always look at me and they go... Well, no, but that's what a lot of people are doing. I'm like, well, what are you interested in? Because, right. I mean, if if you have a koi pond in your backyard and you're passionate about it, build an app that figures out the feeding schedule for your koi. Yeah. If, you, if you're into motorcycle racing, then build an app that keeps track of the maintenance on the motorcycles that your buddy maintains. I mean, exactly. do something you really care about because then what you, what happens is you go into these interviews or you talk to these people about getting a job and instead of saying, you know, I built Twitter clone and I you, you, you did use the generators from Rails to get my app together and then I... Boring, right? You're like, right. man, I had this problem because I was trying to solve this problem because motorcycles are so cool. 
<laughs> you know, and and I needed to get this working just right so that it would track this thing just perfectly. Mm. And so I, I I tinkered and I twiddled and I figured it out. And right. you know, and and this passion will come through, and people will be so excited about what you're working on, even if they could care less about motorcycles, they can feel it from you. I love yeah. coding. I love what I do. I love what I'm working on. I do this on my own time. Those are the kinds of people people want to hire. So go sure. work on that. Yeah, agree. Do your own thing. Do it really well. Yeah. Where do you fall on startup companies? Do you, do you have any particular advice around it, talking to a startup versus talking to a more established business? So startups are funny. It, it really depends. Um, most startups are going to need at least a couple of experienced people. And I'm not talking about years. I'm talking about they have run into enough of the problems that that, that industry is going to throw at them mm -hmm. in order to solve them, right? Um, you, so you need one or two people that can just solve the problems, period. Um, but generally, once they have one or two solid people, you can make the case to them that they need somebody that's at a little bit lower level that can handle a lot of the minutia. And, you know, so you're solving at a lower level, you're solving interesting problems for you and they can go solve the big interesting problems that the business actually has sure. that only they can handle. Yeah. And so that's kind of the approach I take. A lot of startups, they don't want to hire anybody that doesn't have experience for the, like their first four or five programming hires, and they don't necessarily need to do that. And so if you mm -hmm. go in and you start talking to them about, oh, well, how much time do you spend writing tests for your stuff? How much time do you spend just building HTML views for your web applications? How much time do you spend writing API calls for your mobile app? Mm. You know, I can do all of that stuff, and that way you can look at the big picture and you can say, okay, this app needs to move in this direction, and you can start framing out the next part of the house. Sure, and, yeah. And, and, and that's really, it, it really opens a lot of doors that way. But again, you've got to do a lot of homework. And the other thing with startups is most startups start because somebody sees an opportunity and they really care about it. Otherwise, yeah. they're not taking all that action and taking all that risk. And so if you can find out what's lighting a fire under the founder's rear ends and you go in and you can show them you have that same fire, they'll they'll hire you just on principle a lot of times. Mm -hmm. You, you mm -hmm. have enough of the skills we want and boy, you're one of us. But you are yeah. taking a risk. I mean, typically startups pay a lower salary but provide options so that if everything mm -hmm. goes well, we'll all make some yep. money. But it is tricky in the sense of this company yeah. could go away in a year. Right. Yep. Yeah. With the bigger companies, there's usually a little bit more structure in place. Mm -hmm. So you're not you're not going to be that that passionate hire or whatever. And they've got people like you at, at a whole bunch of different levels. Right. So they know where they want you, and that that's so that's a little bit different. There's generally a little bit more stability there as far as benefits and salary and things like that. Uh, the trick is is that a lot of the bigger companies also have gatekeepers in place. Right. So if you're trying to get in front of somebody that can make a decision to hire you, a lot of times that's a little trickier. Now, mm -hmm. if you if you walk in or you know you make the right phone call to the right person, they'll let you through because they don't want to be so rude, right? You showed up at their building, so they may make you sit around for a little while before yeah. they finally just say, "Okay, I'll go get them for you." Right. But yeah. You know, it, it's a different animal. The, the thing is, though, is that unless you're talking about like the Googles and Microsofts and Facebooks that are really, really, really big, most companies don't have that much structure around it. So even a, a middle-sized company that's kind of the big dog in a smaller field, mm. you can usually just walk in and get to know them. It's just they don't have that scrappy 
um, you know, we, we can smell the problems coming and we're going to go and we're going to solve the world's issues. They, they've already been through that. And at this point, they're systemizing and solving the problems in a much more regimented way. And right. so, you know, but but they have some of the stability of the bigger companies. Sure. And I find that most developers wind up working in either a company that's a couple of years old that's still kind of startup-y or they're going to wind mm-hmm. up in one of these mid-range, mid-level companies that, that do something interesting. Yeah. Makes sense. Charles, this has been a great hour. I'm I'm sorry. We have to run because I got a flight simulator to play. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm going to go crash into some planes. They're they're not even going to see me coming. No. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it amazing what JavaScript can do? Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny. I was talking to Donovan Brown the other day, and he... He mentioned that when people ask him what to start with, he basically says, well, you can either do .NET or you can do JavaScript. And it's because you can do it anywhere, right? You can you can push it to any platform. Yeah, and right. it has pretty much all of the capabilities. And that that's the thing that's really amazing about technology these days is I can go write an app in JavaScript and I can publish it to the web. I can publish it to the desktop with something like Electron. And I can mm-hmm. push it up on mobile with Cordova or something similar. Yeah. It's incredible. And the opportunities are going to continue to grow. So if you're considering a career in programming, um, I mean, don't do it if you're not going to love it. But otherwise, I mean, come join the fun. It is a great place to be. (laughs) It certainly is. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. All right. And we'll see you at Build, I think. Yep. Sure. All right. And we'll see you, dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a time boy. Life is hard.